All right, it's a pleasure to be here. It's good to be here. Um, one of the things that was just on my heart tonight, thinking about praying, praying for North Korea, uh, it can be like plowing, kind of, you know, you're just plowing the field, and you don't, you're, you don't see any fruit, right? Because you're just plowing, and you're plowing. It feels like we come here every month, and we pray for similar topics, and we just give it our all, you know, but we don't see much. Um, but I need you guys to know that God is working. And in these past few years, especially more than any time in the past 50 years, we've seen shifts and shifts and shifts. And uh, there's a story I heard while I was in the States by a, a Korean pastor. He was telling me that uh, he knew of someone who was a pastor in the countryside here in Korea. And this man was so faithful to the Lord. And uh, he felt the Lord lead uh, to stop his job and to start a church. And he was just passionate and you would pray all the time, and you'd read the word, and he would just evangelize to the countryside. But his congregation was very small, uh, maybe 10, 12 people. Uh, and yet he would work so hard. And, and then he'd walk down the road, and he's, there was this mega church in the countryside in this area in Korea. And uh, the, the pastor there, he would watch him just play golf and, you know, just relax. And yet his church kept thriving. And he wondered, what's going on? You know, God, I pray all the time. I do all this stuff. And this guy doesn't seem to be doing anything. And his church is prospering. And uh, God told him, well, you know, uh, that, that man's grandfather started that church. And he's the third generation. And there's a generational blessing over this house. For you, you're a first gen. You're plowing. You're starting. Don't give up. It's going to get better. And uh, I look at, you know, he's controversial. But Joel Osteen, if you look at him, I mean... He preaches 25-minute sermons that seem to be about similar topics every week, and his church is huge. It is huge. And, um, but he's not a first-gen. His father, I believe it was his grandfather or his father, father started that church, and his father was very faithful, very faithful to the Lord, and raised him up well. And, and just today, uh, for New Philadelphia leaders, the church leaders, we were here, and we had updates about the campus ministries uh, Emmaus Campus Ministry, which meets at Yonsei, and then they just they started Seoul National last semester, and now Korea University this semester. And they're just sharing about, oh, breakthrough, breakthrough, all these students coming, all this stuff happening. And uh, it's really sweet, but, you know, Pastor Christian from New Philadelphia, he started that ministry in, was it, 06? And it wasn't that way. And uh, it was pretty hard. And I remember, I'd, you know, I'd speak there in 2008, you know, 2009. It usually be a small group. And then he handed it off to his wife. And soon it started to grow. And it's only been recently that there, there's been these breakthroughs. And I really believe that Pastor Christian, he plowed, he sowed, he worked, he worked. And now it's starting to come up. And in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord is signed to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. And what we need to understand, I, I don't believe that we're first gens here praying for North Korea. I believe that uh, many people have been praying for North Korea before us. They might not be a part of this you know, congregation or a part of this group here. Uh, but I believe that we're on the verge of seeing that breakthrough. And I believe that our children, this next generation, is going to experience revival like never before. And I've spoken about this before. If you're around me, you, you'll hear me talk about that a lot. Uh, but it's something that's so clear. And so I just want to encourage you guys, when there are moments in ministry or there's moments in life where you just feel like you're plowing and you're plowing and you're plowing, think back to yourself. You know, was, did your father open this door for you 
Or are you the first gen? Are you the first person doing this? And have patience and know that Abraham wasn't, it wasn't until he was 100 that he had Isaac, one son, okay? But he was the son of the promise. And then Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob had 12, and then it, it blew up, okay? So you get, we got to have faith, guys, when we pray. We have to have faith. We can't hold on to, to sight. We got to hold on to faith. All right, that's not what I'm going to preach about tonight. Um, the title of tonight's sermon is A Call for Deeper Intimacy. A Call for Deeper Intimacy. I want you guys to write that down. I want to encourage you guys to take notes. And before I get into the message, I have one more thing to share. Uh, some good news. Uh, Jerusalem Ministry... Uh, is an orphanage ministry I've been directing the past seven years now. It's been seven years that I've been serving in this ministry. And one of the things that, that has been on my heart the past seven years is providing for the kids who graduate uh, and from high school and have to leave the home uh, because their situation is very bleak. They leave with no financial support, no emotional support. Uh, they're very lonely. These are kids on Lunar New Year's, on Chusuk. Uh, they have no one to go to. Uh, they're alone. And for these kids that want to go to university, it's especially hard because they have to work almost full-time jobs in order to pray, uh, pay for the tuition so that they can go to school. And so of the kids that I know that have been faithful in this, uh, they have no life. Uh, but most of those kids that started out, they quit within the first year. And out of these kids that, that quit school, a lot of them fall into alcoholism. Uh, gangs uh, becomes an open invitation. You guys just know that these are the vulnerable ones. Sex trafficking uh, becomes a danger. Uh, these kids need help. They need support. And so we've had benefit concerts past couple years, uh, been raising funds, and we started Oak Tree Project, which is a scholarship fund for, ki- for orphans who want to attend university and a mentoring program. So it's not just the financial need, but it's also the emotional need for the kids. And last month, we accepted four applicants. We originally were just going for three, but God provided enough money for us to take four. And uh, so we got a picture. Uh, if we could put them up. I know it's it's hard to see, uh, but uh, that's three of our leaders and then four kids. We got three boys and uh, one girl, Pastor G, who's in that picture. She's mentoring the girl. She's a uh, theater major, uh, second year, uh, loves the Lord. And Mi Jung from, from Hillside, she's mentoring one of the boys. And then Sky, my wife and I, were mentoring two of the boys. And the boys, their majors are social welfare. Uh, one of them is studying tourism slash Japanese and the other is studying computer information system. Okay, and so it's just begun. Uh, we're going to be meeting with them monthly and calling them, mentoring them, and we're really excited for what God has in store for them. And so I've led prayer on, the, on this topic for these kids in the past. I want to encourage you guys, if you can, uh, remember Oak Tree Project. Pray for us. Our, our vision isn't that we just see these four through college, but our vision is that we accept more and more with each year and that when these kids graduate, they'll graduate not just as a survivor, but they'll graduate as a deliverer, that they'll graduate and they'll be able to rise up and be an example uh, to the others around them and to lift others up as well. Okay, so uh, let's just praise God uh, for, for these kids and for what he's doing. Let's give it up. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Okay, now for the message. Open up your Bibles to Ezekiel, chapter 16. I 
Sky and I just got back from America. We were in America for about four weeks. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been here in Korea over seven years now. Um, and every time I visit America, I, I go there to speak at college fellowships and to speak at churches. And whenever I speak at churches in America, uh, this is a word that, that I speak. And I can't help it. I don't want to share it, to be honest. Um, and they often expect me just to talk about the orphanages in, in Korea. Uh, but this just burns in my heart. And uh, I think it was something that I knew even before I left America about the future of America and about what's going on in that country. And uh, we're going to read Ezekiel 16, verse 49 and 50. And I want you guys to just think about America as uh, I read these words. It says, Behold, this was your guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty, did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Excess of food. Uh, I think you guys know that Americans, one in three Americans are overweight or obese, um, and America wastes 40% of their food. They throw it away. 40% of their food. Yet despite these statistics, one in six are hungry in America, don't have enough food. And while I was home in America, uh, some of my friends are teachers at school in uh, poor areas. And they say every morning uh, there is a, a uh, I guess it's school breakfast program. That's what it's called to provide for kids on welfare and poor kids. And they say the school breakfast, the cafeteria is packed with kids who are there for a meal uh, because they don't have food at home. And uh, I visited another church that was having an, an after school program. And they had about 45 kids in this program, and uh, they told me it was in a poor area, and they said, out of these 45, 30 of these kids come just for the food uh, that we give out because they don't have food at home. Think about that. America. You know, you think of America, and you just think of food, and you think of people eating a lot, and yet one in six are hungry. The poor, they're, they're barely getting by. And uh, I know some of you guys in this room grew up under those conditions. Uh, some of you guys can attest to that. So let's read this again, Ezekiel 16, 49, 50. I want you guys to get this in it because it's not just gluttony, excess of food that's a problem. It says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. One of the problems that I experience when I go to America, and uh, I love America, but whenever I go there, I, I go home and I sit on the couch in my family's house, and it's so nice, and it's so comfortable. And, you know, I, I go and, you know, the food and, and just, the, just the little comforts of America, it's so nice, it's so soft and warm, you know? <laughs> But that's not all there is to life. And the sad thing is, is that as you get wrapped up into those things, you don't want to let them go. And you start to get uncomfortable when, hey, hey, no, no, no. I, I'm, I want to keep my comfort. Don't try and take that from me. Don't tell me that I have to give this up. The more comfortable you get, the more inward thinking you get, the more selfish you get, the, more you, the less you think about those around you. So one in three are overweight and obese. One in six don't have enough food to eat. Just think about that. And so I speak on this when I go to America. And I challenge the church that America is going to face judgment, has been facing judgment. If you guys heard my last sermon, 
at joint prayer. It was about that. Uh, but more judgment is to come because people are putting their faith and their trust and their comfort in the things of the world rather than in God. And if their faith is in things of the world and not in God, God can't bless them. All right. And if God can't bless them, guess what? You don't get blessing. You get judgment. You get curses. Okay. And it's only the intimate. It's only those that remain in prayer, that remain with hearts surrendered to the Lord, that remain in a, in a state of God. I'll give up anything. God, if you want me to give up my comfortable house, Okay, if you want me to give up this comfortable part of my life, I'm willing to. Okay, and, uh, and this is why fasting is so important. Because when you fast, you're saying that with your life. That God, you know, rather than this food, I hunger for you more. Okay, and I really believe that people will fast more, especially in America, that they'll get the right mindset. And that they'll have a clear head. And they'll be ready to give up anything for the Lord. And so this is why I speak about in America, um, and then I was asked after we got back to speak here this, this past week, and uh, you know, I thought, man, I always speak these heavy messages at joint prayer. Oh, I speak something nice and, and you know, sweet, and so I thought I'd speak about heaven. And then I had a dream. <laughs> oh, wrong bottle. I had a dream. So in this dream, uh, I'm standing, and it's kind of like in a valley. And it's like a field that, that comes down, a big hill comes down, and it's this big open field. And I'm with some New Philadelphia people, uh, including a number of leaders. And um, there's this sense in my spirit, it's like an ominous sense, something's coming. Okay, and I could even feel it in me, a stampede is coming. Okay, stampede is when all these animals get spooked because of lightning or earthquake or something, and they all just charge, and they don't care about anything in their path. They just run it over. Okay, they destroy it. And if you go to, like, the Great Plains of, of America and you see a pl- tracks of where a stampede was, everything is just mowed down. It's like a highway, okay? And I could just feel it in my spirit. Something's coming, and i got to get everybody inside. And so I start, like, hurting. Like, come on, guys, we got to get in the house. And then we see all these animals starting to come down over the hill. And if you've seen Lion King, there it is, okay? This is what's going on. Stinking Mufasa, all right? All these, all these animals are coming down, and, uh, and I'm yelling at people, get in the house, okay? Get in the house. It's the only safe place. And, uh, and I'm, I'm pulling them, and I get up to the house, and I'm literally pulling people in. And, and the state is... is Sorry, guys, but a number of you guys are kind of like this and, and moving. And at one point, one of the guys is at the door, and the animals are right there coming. And he's like, like groggy and just like, uh. And in my anger and in my urgency, I slap him. Okay, wake up. And I grab him and pull him in the house, pull him everybody else. Yes, okay, if I get angry, it's, it's like, bam, you know, wake up and, and pull him in. All right. <laughs> Some people need to be slapped. <laughs> so I hope this, this message will do it to you, and I won't have to do it in the physical. <laughs> so what are the symbols in the dream? Okay, and at the moment after I pulled people in, the animals came through and just began to destroy everything outside. We were safe in the house. And... Um, what are the symbols? Well, a stampede, I could just feel it. It's impending judgment. 
Okay, it's, it's impending, it's just something bad is coming, and we need shelter. Now, what's the house symbolize? Uh, it wasn't a house with beds and, and anything like that. It was actually just an empty room, and I felt it symbolized the house of God. And what is the house of God? It's a house of prayer for all nations. Okay, so it's not just coming into the sanctuary for cover. It's coming in in prayer, okay, for cover. But what I was noticing was a lot of people were just not getting the times and not getting what was coming, even though it was right there about to run them over, okay? And they weren't awake, and they weren't praying. So this sermon is called A Call for Deeper Intimacy. And I feel, and I'm not saying this for everybody, so don't get paranoid, okay, if this isn't you, but I feel that some of you guys are being sifted in this hour. Some of you guys are being tested. And there's been confusion. There's been doubt. I don't really know what I'm doing. Okay, you know, I'm not sure. And you're kind of groggy. And you need to be woken up. Okay, and in Luke 22, 31, 32, Jesus said, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. You know what happened was Jesus, he takes care of these disciples for three years. He performs all these miracles. He teaches them. He loves on them. He builds them up. And he warns them many times, okay, about how he is going to be betrayed and he's going to be crucified. Okay, and he's going to die for the sins of the world. And they just don't get it. They just don't get it. Why? Because their minds aren't in the spirit. Their minds are in the natural. And they're just looking at them in the natural. You're a great king. You're a great king. You're a great king. Not seeing them as the king of the universe, but just thinking them as the king of the Jews for that time period. All right. And so what happens when Jesus is in the garden and all these guys with torches come up and they arrest him? Disciples run for their lives. They flee. Oh, that commitment to God. Oh, I'll be with you through thick and thin. No, they even deny him. All those years of all those miracles and all that intimacy and and all that power and them experiencing God healing through them and and experiencing God casting out demons through them. It's all forgotten in an instant. Why? Because, oh, suddenly there's suffering. Suddenly there's trouble. Suddenly there's fear. And they're living in the natural. They're not thinking in the spirit. And so they flee for their comfort for that moment, for that safety in that moment. You guys getting this? They didn't know that through this suffering, there was going to be a deliverance for the entire world. That something amazing was about to happen. They weren't seeing it because their eyes were in the natural. Their eyes weren't in the spirit. They just wanted that comfort, that safety of knowing no one's questioning me. No one's going to arrest me. No one's going to accuse me. I'm just going to hide in my little room for these next few days. Think about that. Satan often tries to sift us before a great deliverance. Satan often tries to get us filled with fear so that we won't be there when the great deliverance comes. So when his mighty moves come, we're, we're absent. We're out of it. We're just, we're just chilling on our couch. We're just in our comfort zone, letting the days of our life pass away. So I feel that in this hour, God is awakening the church to greater levels of faith. And God is saying the commitments you've made before, I don't care about your words. I care about your heart. And you've given me this much of your heart, okay? Your commitments sound great, but only this much of your heart has been given. I want it all now. I want it all. And I'm going to make it uncomfortable for you, okay? So that you'll give it all. So that you'll give it all. And it's worth it. Let me tell you, it's worth it. 
like I said before, God can only bless faith. Okay, because faith is when you're moving in him. But when you're moving apart from him and you're thinking, look, I'm just going to make this decision because the world says it's the best way or because it just seems the most comfortable. Okay, you're making that decision out of fear that God won't bless you. All right. So it's not faith that you're moving in. You're moving in fear. And if you're moving in fear and doubt in God and faith in yourself and faith in the things of this world, how can God bless you? You're walking away from him. A loving father would not allow his daughter just to fall away and to to fall into all this mess and lose sight of him and and be destroyed by the world. The loving father will discipline his daughter and bring her back. Okay? God can't bless this. He can only bless faith. He can only bless it when we choose to seek him. When the fear comes in our hearts, instead of, oh, trying to just make things up with our own hands or just making decisions that seem good by the world's sight, we got to pray. We got to seek him. We got to get peace from him and he'll guide us. He'll strengthen us. The best example of this guys is Abraham and Lot. And I've shared about them before. I'm going to share about them again because it's so clear. And I want you guys to get this in your system. This is the best example I've found in scripture about this. Abraham, his story, you guys know it. He's commanded by God, leave your home country, leave your family, leave everything that's comfortable to you, everything that you knew. And go into this land you don't know at all. And I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And so Abraham obeys. And he goes. He goes in faith. And God just prospers him. And he prospers him. And prospers him. And he's with his nephew Lot. Okay? And they are prospering. They are just being built up so much that there's not enough space for all their flocks. And so there's this this point where in Genesis 13, Abraham says to Lot, Okay, look, we just got to split. We're blessed too much. You choose your way, and I will go the opposite way. I'll go where, the opposite direction of wherever you choose. And so Lot, what does he do? Does he pray? Does he intercede? Does he look to the Lord? No. Lot's in the physical. He's looking around the land. Where's the land that's going to bless my flocks the most? Where's the land that I'm going to be the most comfortable? And, oh, Sodom. Very fertile land. It says it was a green, fertile land. This looks great. If I go here, I'll be blessed because my blessing is in the land. Abraham says, sure, you go that way. I'll go wherever because I know as long as I'm obeying the Lord and walking with him, I'm going to be blessed no matter what. Whether there's drought, whether there's rain, whether it's desert, whether it's fields of of green, I don't care. I'm going to walk with God. And so they part. And in Genesis 13, the moment Abraham takes this step, God shows up and he says, Abraham, Look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. I'm giving it all to you because you're walking with me. Because you chose faith. You chose to walk with me. I'm going to give you everything. And we read on that Abraham indeed prospers and prospers and prospers to the last day of his life. But what about Lot? What happens to Lot who chose the fertile land? Okay, well, first off, if you read, I think it's the next chapter, Lot gets captured by some enemy kings, and there's this, this big mess, and Abraham finally delivers him. Okay, he's safe again. So much for the land being safe. But Lot continues to stay in the city of Sodom, even as Sodom is falling apart. And he stays in that land. His trust is in the land. His trust is in the things around him. So much so that he begins to become numb to the immorality and the wickedness that's surrounding him. So get this, when these angels come, and they're, they're trying to see, should we destroy Sodom or not? Lot takes them in, and he's being hospitable to them. He's being a good guy. Okay, and then there's knocks at the door. 
And all the men of the city have come and they say, send out those two men that you're entertaining and we want to sleep with them. Does Lot pray? Does Lot say, I got two angels. I'm not scared of you. Lot's thinking in the worldly. What can I do to fix this situation? What can I manipulate in what's around me to fix this? Here are my virgin daughters. Have them. This will fix it. Okay? It's like, here, have money. This will fix it. Here, have my daughters. This will fix it. Did he pray? No. Did, did he ask the angels for help? No. Okay? He was acting in the natural. Later, all right, uh, angels are like, it's time to get out. All right, judgment is coming. Uh, it says in Genesis nineteen seventeen through 20. Why don't you guys turn there? It's good for you guys to read this. Genesis nineteen seventeen through 20. We're going to read about the judgment of Sodom. So these angels have been sent to deliver him and his family from the destruction of the city. I think you guys know this story well, but I want you guys to pay attention to how Lot acts as he's running. And these are two angels. And he should know that they're angels because they blinded all those men. Rather than those men raping his daughters, okay, the angels blinded them and grabbed Lot and said, we're, we're, we're going out of the city. Judgment's coming quick. Genesis 19, 17 through 20, it says, And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me, and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. Lot's arguing with angels. You believe that? They've just pulled him out of the city. They've just delivered him from all these men. And they say, go to this place and you'll be safe. But Lot looks to the, in the physical, it doesn't look that safe to him. Instead, he looks to those little cities and he's like, I'll be much more safe there. Thank you, God. But I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to go my own way. Please just let me go my own way. And says the angels relented. And they said, all right, go ahead. Do what you want. You can go in that place. And the end of Lot is basically he goes to those cities and we read that he gets so filled with fear. Remember, fear is the opposite of faith. So Lot's not moving in faith. He's moving in fear. He gets so filled with fear in those little cities that he ends up going to the mountains and living in a cave with his two daughters to the point where they who were once so prosperous with Abraham now have nothing. And what happens is that his daughters don't have a man to sleep with, to have children, so they get Lot drunk, their father, Get him drunk and sleep with him so that they may have kids. This is what happens when you put your trust in the world. You lose everything because the things of this world are temporary. Okay? They eventually die. It's just the truth. But when you put your faith in God, he provides. He takes care of us. He builds us up. He loves us. Okay? He will take care of us. Best example of this in the New Testament was Jesus when he was tempted. Satan had thousands of years to come up with some temptations for Jesus. Thousands of years. But you know what his first temptation to Jesus was? Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and the Bible says he was hungry. So Satan appears to him. His first test, this is the big test. You imagine if Satan had a thousand years to prepare one temptation for you. 
how bad it would be, okay? And here's Jesus standing there. Satan appears and says, if you're really the son of man, why don't you just turn these stones into bread and, and eat? Seems harmless, right? No problem. I remember when I read this when I was younger, I was just like, what type of temptation is this? You know, Jesus turns water to wine. He multiplies the food later. Why didn't he do it? He, he fasted 40 days. It seems long enough. Jesus' response, it says, he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus says is, look, I will not manipulate the things of this world for my provision. I will only receive provision from the Father. It's the Father who takes care of me. I will only live by faith. I will only live by faith. Later in John, he says, I can only do what the Father is doing. That's it. I can't do anything else. I can only do what the Father is doing. Jesus was the epitome of a life lived by faith. All the miracles that he did, they were led by the Holy Spirit. It was the Father orchestrating it. It wasn't done out of doubt or fear. It was only done by faith. You know, I really feel God is calling the church into this intimacy and into this place where before you could be lukewarm. Before there was a grace where, you know, you could be a Sunday Christian and then go home and kind of dabble in sin here and then just take care of your finances in however way you wanted and get whatever job you wanted and, you know, just do your own thing, live your own life. There was a grace for that, for a season. That season's being lifted. And you know what? In the end times, it's only the intimate that will be protected. And this is, this is the most important part of the message. I hope you guys get this. Turn to Revelation chapter 11. You know, we say, one of the terms we say at New Philadelphia this past year is, oh, the graces run out for that. You know, I used to have those ways. I used to live under those ways, but the graces run out. I got to mature. I got to build up. I can't be, you know, acting that way anymore. Well, here we see it in scripture. The grace for lukewarmness, the grace for grogginess, the grace for I'm going to just do whatever I want is running out. Revelation 11, 1 and 2 says, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise, measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. You know the only people who are protected? The intimate worshipers. Those that were in the house. Those that were praying. Those that were keeping close to the heart of God. Not those just going their own merry way. Not those just choosing, you know, oh, God, I know that you probably want me to that part of my life, but I want this, and I'm going to do my own thing. Those lukewarm Christians, God says, don't count them. They don't count at all to me. And in this time, they're going to get trampled by the outsiders. Gentiles represented non-Jews, but in Revelation, it represents outsiders. Outsiders are going to come in, and they're going to trample the outer courts. They're going to destroy the holy city. It's only those in the temple, only those in the house that will be safe. Now think about the dream that I had. Where was I trying to take them? Trying to take them into the house. What was I trying to protect them from? Trampling, stampede that was coming. Only those in the house would be spared. 
And what I feel is that in this hour, God is saying your commitment has to be with a whole heart. It's time. It's time to make your commitment strong. Stop thinking about all these other things that I could do. And oh, wouldn't this be better when you know God has put your heart right here. God has set your heart in this place. And you've experienced miracles. You've experienced deliverance. You've experienced the power of God. Don't let some sudden fear or some, some little struggle cause you to flee to the comfort. And to flee to the places of fear and doubt. You've got to keep your commitment. You got to keep close to the Lord because it's only the intimate that will be saved. It's only the intimate that will be counted. I mean, guys, my, I, I made vows to my wife. And vows are, you know, that's great and all, but it's the heart behind it that matters. I could tell my wife, I love you. I love you. I love you. My heart's not behind it. It's just meaningless words. She doesn't want my words. She wants my heart. God doesn't want your words. He wants your heart. You could say all these commitments that you want. It's meaningless if your heart is not behind it. And God's saying in this time, your heart needs to be strong. I'm about to do amazing things, but I got to know who's for me and who isn't. Who's really behind me? Who's going to walk in faith and who's going to just kind of do their own thing? Dilly dally and put their trust in the things of this world. I see, you know, so many when I go to America, they put their trust in money. And then they lose their job. They put their trust in education and and their grad school degree, and they can't get a job. You know, some of them, they know they're not supposed to marry this person, but they think marriage will, you know, satisfy them. And a few years later, they're just empty. They're just broken. And, you know, even Sky and I, as we were in the States, meeting with some, some of our different friends, and we could tell some of them were not walking in the true will of God. And they were doing what their parents told them to do. Their parents said, oh, America's better. Get this job. You know, and they're feeling, some of them were even feeling, I, I need to go to Korea. God's calling me to Korea, but America's so comfortable. But yet we'd look at them, and they're so dead. And they would confess it. I just, I don't feel life. And they're not their vibrant personality. They're not acting how they were before when we knew them before. This is what fear and doubt does to you. It kills you. It takes away God's plan for your life. You think you're comfortable, but the truth is you're rotting away with the world around you like Lot. God has something amazing in store for you. God wants to romance you. God wants to show you things that you could never even dream of. He wants to build you up. But you know, romance requires some mystery. Romance requires even some tests, some some moments where it's like, you know, are are you, is this really happening? Okay, that's what romance is. If everything was just laid out for you, if it's like, okay, I love you, here's the ring, here's the roses, here's this, 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 this. Is that romantic? It's not romantic. That's not exciting. That's not life. That's boredom. You want to be romanced. And the Bible's clear, okay, yeah, you know, we're supposed to prosper, we're supposed to be built up, God's going to bless us, but God doesn't say, oh, you'll never suffer the rest of your life, it's going to be perfect, okay? No, Jesus warned, he said, if you're going to follow me, you know, there's not going to be a place to lay your head at times. There's going to be times where you're going to have to say no to family. There's going to be times where you're going to endure persecution in my name, but blessed are you when you do this, blessed are you. Something great is coming for you. Just walk with me. You know, one of the beautiful examples of someone going deeper with the Lord that, 
I have the privilege to share is that one of our scholarship recipients, uh, her name is Chiwi, she's a second year, okay? And so she joined our scholarship during her second year. Uh, her first year, though, she had to work on her own. And so she's working full-time while also studying at the university and doing her best. And she was growing with the Lord last year. And it's beautiful. She's growing, and she's just enjoying God. And then she got to the point in her Bible where it said, you need to tithe. Now, here's someone who, if she tithes her 10%, she's not going to be able to eat every meal. Okay? I mean, that's just the truth. It's going to be a bit harder. And so you get that point where, you know, well, well, God, you know, I know you say it in, in your word that I'm supposed to tithe and, and, you know, that I'm supposed to be a good steward. And, yeah, you say Malachi that there's a curse for those who don't tithe. But, you know, I'm, a, I'm an orphan. I don't have a family. I'm sure you could just, you know, forget about this. I'm going to go this way, the way of fear and doubt and comfort and just trust in my job. And I'm just going to trust in this money. And I'm not, I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to act in faith. Praise God. Chiwi. This young girl, I think she's 19 years old last year, she chose faith. She started tithing. I can't remember how long it was, but shortly after she started tithing, she saw information about our scholarship form at the dormitory that she was living. That's for kids that are true orphans in university. And she knew it was God's provision. And so she applied, and you know, we got her application, and you know, she didn't write anything about that. But it was just her basic application, and we just felt, oh, this is good. We accepted her. And during the first meeting, Pastor G and Mijung, when they met with these kids, um, you know, we're, we're not going to coddle these kids. Uh, we're going to build them up. And so the first thing they taught was, okay, we're going to be giving you guys a scholarship fund, but you've got to be faithful with it. And here is the accountability that we expect. This is, you know, the way you need to budget. And then they taught about tithing. And the three boys started squirming. Man, you're going to you know, give us money and then tell us we've got to give it away? But she was just smiling. And she interjected and said, listen to me. I, I had to work last year so hard in order to provide you know, for my tuition. And then God led me in tithing, and I tithed in faith, and God blessed me with a scholarship. If you would just trust in the Lord, he'll take care of you. You guys need to tithe. Man, if you guys aren't tithing, shame on you. 19-year-old orphan. But how beautiful is that? Gee, we got a testimony out of that. Now our faith's grown. Now she sees, oh, my daddy's a good provider. He'll provide for me. He'll provide for me this much. But you know what? I believe God's going to call her to expect God for more. And there's going to be a moment where she's going to hit another wall, another moment where I feel God telling me to give this up as well. You know, give up maybe this dream of mine or this thing of mine. And I don't think it's going to be good. Maybe I'll just hold on to this dream and, you know, forget the faith. I'm just going to hold on to this little thing that I want. Because maybe if I just manipulate on my own, it'll prosper. Uh, no. Okay. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And I know that she's going to put her trust in him and her faith is going to go higher. Deeper intimacy. Deeper intimacy. God's calling the church into this deeper intimacy in this hour. And you guys know, I've been here seven years. I came out here, you know, as a white guy who couldn't speak any Korean to live with 85 kids in an orphanage, living off support. And I remember before I left, you know, uh, if you guys know my testimony, my dad had had dreams 
And God had orchestrated pretty clearly in the spirit to the point where my parents were completely against it year before. A year later, they were blessing me to go and, and to serve the orphans. But I remember just before I went out, I visited a friend from high school. I'm hanging out with him, and, and his dad you know, came up and said, John Michael, I, I heard that you're going to Korea. I said, yeah, yeah. Well, what did you graduate with? Oh, I graduated with an engineering degree. Oh, okay, well, what are you going to be doing in Korea? I'm going to be living with all these kids, you know, and, and I'm going to be doing these different things. And he's like, well, can you speak Korean? No. Do you have any experience teaching? No. And he's looking at me like, and he said, are you sure you've thought this out? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm leaving in a week, you know. <laughs> faith. Live by faith, not by sight. He's looking at it in the natural terms. And, and, you know, it's good. Being responsible. Let's look at this in the natural. You know, have you thought this out? Why doesn't God just send some Koreans? Well, I don't know. I've asked the same thing. <laughs> but God sent me. Okay? And I'm going to obey him. I'm going to walk with him. And I've continued to walk in faith. And God, you know, I've shared with you guys in the past about different dreams. And uh, it was cool. Because, you know, Sky and I, we, we want to have kids. And we were talking about, like, well, what if our sons, you know, have to go to military? You know, what, what do we do about that? And, you know, what about education? That's another concern about, you know, the different married couples here. You know, we can't afford these international schools. But then we don't want to send our kids to Hagwon uh, or anything like that. You know, how is this going to be handled? So should we just remain in this place of fear and doubt? Well, let's not have kids until we figure all this out and, and get everything in order. No, God's leading us to have kids. We're going to have kids, okay? As long as we're led, being led by the Spirit, we're going to do it, okay? We're not going to be renegade and just do whatever we want. We've got to be led by the Spirit. And so we're home, and uh, my, my mom was sharing with me that a couple months ago, uh, my dad had a dream, and he was sharing it with uh, my two sisters. And my younger sister's pregnant, about to have her first child. My older sister hasn't had children yet. And um, he was sharing with them that, you know, I had a dream the other night that uh, your mom, uh, you know, Vicky, was teaching homeschooling our grandchildren. And uh, my sisters got so excited, like, oh, that'd be so cool. My mom was a licensed teacher. She taught in elementary school uh, for a long time uh, until becoming a full-time mom. And, uh, and so my sisters got really excited. And then one of my sisters said, like, Dad, were your grandchildren in your dream Asian? <laughs> and, and my dad goes, you know what? They were. Why are we worrying? God's got it in control. You walk with him, you're going to prosper. You're going to be taken care of. For some of the greatest things in our life, it might take time, okay? It might take a lot of time. We pray for North Korea, we pray for North Korea, pray for North Korea. We want to see it through, okay? But we got to trust in him. And he's going to build us up along the way. Abraham, he prospered in terms of wealth and riches. But the one thing he wanted most, he had to wait quite a long time for. It was his son. And at one point, his wife encouraged him, hey, hey, let's move from this realm into this realm. And let's just manipulate through our own means. And you just sleep with this maidservant. Even though the promise is through me, you sleep with this maidservant. And whoever she has, that'll be our son. And they had an Ishmael. Okay, Ishmael was not a son of the promise. 
And then the truth was, was later Ishmael's descendants would, be, would make war against Isaac's. Okay? They, they would war against each of their brethren. That was the curse over, over Ishmael's children. The word over them. We got to wait for the promise. We can't have an Ishmael. We can't try and manipulate our own means. We can't trust in America. Okay? You can't trust in grad school. You can't trust in these other little things that come in your way that you think, well, maybe this is my answer to the future. You've got to trust in the Lord. I'm not saying that grad school is evil. I'm not saying America is evil. But what I'm saying is you've got to be led by the Spirit and not by these things. And when I say it's a call for deeper intimacy, and what I'm saying is that when you get fear in your body or when you get concern or why aren't things going my way, you don't try and manipulate on your own. You don't try and just act out of fear. Look, I just got to press a button and do something. You pray and you pray and you seek his peace. Now, as Pastor Christian preached this past Sunday, you get in his presence. When that peace comes upon you, God might not tell you where to go. But what you can know is you can go to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and it's all yours because you're walking with him. His peace is upon you. Deeper intimacy, church. It's time to make our commitments with a whole heart. It's time to say, God, I'm coming in. And I'm coming in deep with you. I want you and I want all that you have. And I'm going to stand on your word. You say, delight yourself in me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. I'm going to stand on your word that it's worth it. And I'm telling you guys, it is worth it. I've lived seven years on financial support as a missionary to these kids. I've gone through very difficult times serving those children. There were many times where I wanted to quit. I wanted to get out. Man, 2007 was the hardest years of my life. It was a hard year. You look at me now, it looks easy, what I'm doing. It looks like, wow, you know, he's, he's got a wonderful wife. He has a car. You know, he's directing his ministry, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that way in the beginning. I was walking in faith. But even in those hard times, I would pray and I would seek him. And there'd be moments, there'd be weeks sometimes where I wouldn't get answers. And I would get fall into depression, okay? And then someone would share a dream they had. Or someone would share a prophetic word with me that would just... It was just right into my heart. It was right what I needed. And God would strengthen me up again. There were times in 2007 where it happened over and over. They would strengthen me, and then, oh, I'd fall into depression again. And I'd struggle for weeks. And I'd just be like, God, I want to go home. I'm tired of this. I'm not seeing any fruit with these kids. I can't speak any Korean. This is so difficult. And, you know, I'd get silence at times. But I just knew deep down in my heart, that's not, that's not God's will for me. I'm not supposed to run back to that comfort. I'm not supposed to run back to those ways that aren't in him. I'm supposed to stay in his plan. And every time, sometimes it took a while, but he would speak. God wasn't showing up to Abraham every day saying, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. He didn't show up every day. Abraham was a man of faith. God only showed up every like 12 years. That's faith. I need him like every two weeks. Come on, God. You know. He'll speak. He'll speak. He wants to build your faith. He doesn't want to coddle you. He doesn't want you to be a baby and talk to you every day. Now they're there. No, he wants you to grow up. He wants you to wake up. He wants you to run with him. I'm just going to wash you guys with some word uh, to close this message. Get those slides up. John, I'm going to read Psalm 37, uh, 1 through 9. Just receive this. It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade 
like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, and I love this, and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Stick it through. If I could get the uh, Susie to come up and uh, why don't we hit the lights? We want to pray. Some of you guys in this past season, you've been tested with your suffering, your job, or with maybe family affairs or different things, and there's just been these desires to get out. And forget this, I'm just going to go back to America. You know what, for Sky and I, we've been trying to get our marriage visa so that I can live in this country that I've lived here for seven years. And in America, we just one thing after another kept falling apart. And you know, even as we came back to Korea, just things kept falling apart for us. And it was so frustrating. But I knew it in my spirit as I prayed. And it was just, Satan doesn't want me here. Do I want to be here? And I I prayed to God, God, I want to be here. I know the plans you have for this country. I know what you're doing here. You know, this has been really annoying. And I don't know why I've had to go through this. I don't know why I've had to endure such frustration and and anger with the embassy and with these different things. But God, I, I give it up. And even if there's no quote-unquote lesson or silver lining through this, I'm still trust in you. I'm still going to walk with you. Some of you guys have been going through that. Others of you, you guys have been tempted. Things have been going great. But for whatever reason, this stuff over here just seems better. Oh, I know the ministry is prospering and, and great things are happening, but you know, I just kind of want to go and, and do this with my life. Grass seems greener over here. Oh, look, it seems more fertile, more prosperous over here. I know I've been obeying God and things have been going well. But now with this test or, or you know, maybe there's just this unholy dissatisfaction. I kind of want this. Satan's trying to sift you. Testing your commitment. And uh, I feel like tonight... God wants you guys to not renew your vows. But for those of you that have made commitments or even feel led to make a commitment tonight, to make it with a whole heart and to say, man, I've been tempted so much by that cushy life in America or by, you know, these different things that I want to do that would seem to make it all work. But I know you're not in it, God. When you get down to the root of it, you're not in this. And even if I might prosper for a few years, it's all temporary and it's all going to fall apart. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose what seems scary. 
I'm going to choose the unknown. I'm going to live by faith and not by sight. I'm going to live by trust in you. You've led me this far. You've stirred in my heart. There's been miracles. There's been signs. There's been wonders. It's been such a joy these past few years walking with you here in this place. It's been so good. I'm going to keep moving with you. And I'm going to see the deliverance in this nation. I'm going to see God do amazing things through our children. I'm going to see God work in ways that I could never dream of. So if, if that's you that I'm talking about, and if you feel, you know, the spirit just on you and you want to renew your commitment, you want to give it with a whole heart. I want to encourage you guys to stand up. If that's you, just stand up right now. If you're standing, I'm not going to ask you to come up. But if you're an altar minister, I'm, I'm going to ask you to come up right now just to the front. But for those of you who are standing, I want you guys to talk to the Lord. Just like you'd speak before your spouse on your wedding day. You'd make those commitments and you'd make those vows. And you'd mean it with your whole heart. I want you to make those vows to the Lord tonight. And that, it's not the words that are important. It's the heart behind them. And if you're struggling with it, you know, just ask God for grace. But I want you to just give God your heart tonight. So I'm going to give you guys just a chance to pray. And in a moment, I'm going to have you guys come up so we can pray for you as well. Let's just take a moment. And those of you who are seated, I just want you to renew your, your vows to the Lord. Just renew your commitment. Say, God, I'm going to live by faith and not by sight. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to trust in you. And I know you're going to take care of me. And I know you're going to do great and unsearchable things that I could have never dreamed of. Let's pray right now, church. Let's pray.
Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. I was going to speak on heaven tonight because I can judge a person's spiritual maturity by their revelation of heaven. If they think heaven is just a bunch of clouds and just boring songs and just walking around, then they're going to choose their own way because they, they, they don't have a reason to live for eternity. So they're going to live for the now and they're going to choose comfort. They're going to choose pleasure and they're going to mess around. But for those who've gotten a revelation of heaven, for those who've known a love that is better than life, who've seen that I get eternity with a king, I get to be with him in his presence, that there is no more tears, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain, that I just get to be in him and be whole, be who I was made to be for all eternity. These are the people that give up their lives for death. These are the people that the world is not worthy of. These are the people that change, change this earth. And I believe God's wanting to tell each and every one of you, especially those who are standing, it is worth it. Every trial, every suffering, it's worth it. It's achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs anything of this earth. It's better. It's better. His ways are better. There's a lot of you standing. And so I can't have all of you guys come up. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to release the altar ministers to go around. And to pray for you guys. And once you've been prayed for, I'm going to ask you to, to sit down just so that we know who needs prayer. But altar ministers, as you pray for them, I want you guys to pray for a revelation of God's presence. Because that's what heaven is. It's his presence. It's joy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. It's peace. It's love. It's life. That's his presence. And that's the fuel, that's the desire that enables us to live. It's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but your will, your kingdom, your presence. So altar ministers, I release you guys. Go pray, pray for them to experience God's presence. A taste of heaven, to know that it's worth it. To know that it's good, that they can keep their commitments. And those of you that receive prayer, I want you to sit down after you receive prayer so that everybody can be touched. Those of you who are sitting, just ask for more of the Lord. Ask for more of his presence. Ask for those tastes of heaven. His love is better than life. His love is better than life. Let's pray.